1: just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the Wiley veteran, Dave Decker. And a guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller.
0: Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Decker talking about our championship-bound Blazers. Dave, it's an exciting week. I know that was maybe a little bit of a stretch because we're only in the first round, but we're in the first round.
1: Might want to win the, the division round. first, honestly, but hey, <laughs> you know what? I mean, take it, run with it. I mean, that's it's fantastic. The Blazers went two and one against Utah, Phoenix, and Denver. Now, the Denver game has a little bit of an asterisk because... They played with all the enthusiasm of three-week-old tapioca pudding uh, that the Nuggets did. That said, Utah-Phoenix-Denver, two and one. Take it, take it, take it. Run with it. Absolutely captured the sixth seed. That's the most important thing. The Blazers finished sixth, Dia. They're not in the play-in.
0: Six. Yes. And I just want to say that Suns game, we could have won. I'm just saying. We could have won. Yeah. I mean, being in sixth place feels good. Being in sixth place... Knowing that we're going to face the Nuggets and not the Clippers feels even better. Really, it was wild. It was wild watching that game against the Nuggets because (gasps) all of us are trying to figure out who the heck (laughs) needs to win and lose. And it's all happening in real time. We were wondering about the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavericks, and then our own game. So four games all happening simultaneously had an impact on what seed we were going to be and who we were going to take on. In the first round and everyone's looking at this i mean i don't know did you hear did you hear jordan and lamar trying to explain it on the broadcast
1: no there were too many variables there was like a four variable equation and it had to be einstein we we had it basically the problem is not that it's hard to understand it's that it's hard to explain because there are too many options yeah you know if the clippers lose and the lakers lose and the mavericks win and the whatever so Look, I think it was good for the league. I think it was good for the Blazers. I think it generated excitement. And as I believe the Denver broadcast kept saying that night, just wait an hour and then you're going to know. We could tell you 30 different things that could happen. But if you wait 60 (laughs) minutes, then we'll know the one that's going to happen. And we'll tell you that.
0: You know, that's the announcers also not knowing what the heck is going on. (laughs) They're like, wait an hour and then we'll all know because no one knows what's happening right now.
1: Yes, but that was thrilling. Didn't you like
0: it? it? uh, No. I don't. I'll tell you what I like, Dave. I'll tell you what I like. Control.
1: That's what you like.
0: I like winning and I like not feeling like I'm going to have a heart attack the entire game. That, you know, that Suns game, I thought, you know, I didn't have the kids. I thought I'm going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings, which is one of my favorite places. I'm going to go and I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch this game. And I went and, you know, wearing my Blazers sweatshirt in LA, mind you, I live in Los Angeles. And the server obviously very quickly caught on to the fact that I was a Blazer fan. And so he had the sound. He had him turn the sound on in the bar area where I was seated. And halfway through that game, I had the entire bar cheering with me. I had them all going. I didn't sit halftime, Dave. I was up on my feet and I did not sit down the rest of that time. I do not do this well. I love once we've won a game. I love how it feels. I love the after feeling of it. But I do not enjoy the process of winning a game when it's close like that. Or in that case, losing. I don't enjoy anything about that. It's stressful. It's stressful.
1: At least it's not Applebee's. I mean, you—you you, can you take my daughter next time? <laughs> like, she loves Buffalo Wild Wings. She just goes crazy. I don't have understand you had, it.
0: Have you had their everything pretzels with the beer cheese?
1: No. It I will change
0: not. your life. Okay. It will change. your. I, I kid you not. It will change your life, give or take the wings. I, I can give or take the wings. Yeah. Dave, you got you got to go to Buffalo Wild wings and you got to try the pretzels with the beer cheese and you got to tell me what you think.
1: I need my life changed, so maybe I will try this. That's but uh, so, but you know the Phoenix game. There was the tough call at the end on Norm, uh, Norman Powell, that is, and he kind of came across the body of Devin Booker and um, there was contact, but whether it was really a foul on the last play of the game to decide it, eh. And Blazer fans were up in arms about Damian Lillard not getting some calls earlier. Eh, I would say overall, Lillard gets more than his fair share of calls. I mean, I know there's complaining. I know he thinks more? he doesn't, but really...
0: More than his fair okay, share? Okay,
1: let's put it this way. Let's try it again. More is an unfair judgment. I'm sorry. I shouldn't quantity, do quantity. Let's do quality. Damian Lillard gets star calls. And everybody in the league kind of does now. It's that kind of league. But Damian Lillard absolutely gets tiki tack touch fouls on drives and on screens and on shots. If anyone gets near him, he will get a whistle in, you know, exposed situations. It's as good as anything that Steve Smith or Clyde Drexler ever got. And those are the two paragons. Late career Steve Smith, late career Clyde Drexler. You could not touch them. They would go to the line. The refs favored them. And Lillard is at that point now. So I don't see the Blazer fans have too much to complain about, although you always can. The Norm foul, I get it. At the same time, they're going to call that now. I mean, if you make any contact with the shooter, they call it. So look, I didn't, I didn't agree with it the same way I, didn't, I don't agree with anything in the modern NBA in that vein. I don't like it. That said, given that we are in the era we're in, it was probably a justifiable call, I thought. It's just sad that it had to end that way.
0: I mean, the the Phoenix game is the game where Mellow made Booker travel, right? And then... <laughs> Either
1: that or Booker got traded to Utah. <laughs> that then, would be cool. And then,
0: okay. Devin Booker just point, plays for good everybody point. the Blazers good point. play against. I love it. Solid point. Yeah. And then Robert Covington missed those free throws and people were all up in arms about that. But there's a couple things about that. First of all, people miss free throws. It happens. Remember when Dame missed two clutch free throws and then he hasn't missed a dang free throw since? <laughs> like, yeah,
1: basically that was that's, that's, the, that was the bubble.
0: Yeah, that's good for us going into the playoffs because I have a feeling that Robert Covington will be the same way. I have a feeling that after missing this, and the truth of the matter is, had he made those free throws and we had won, we would be playing a different team.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and anybody who wants to cl- complain about Robert Covington's anything needs to hush up right now because agreed. his defense has been stellar. His three-point shooting has been stellar. That's all you can ask. He isn't Look, you didn't get Robert Covington to shoot deciding free throws. I mean, should he be able to make at least one? Of course he should. Any professional player should. But you can't pull out that one incident and say, oh, no, this was terrible. Look, without Robert Covington, they don't have this record. Without Robert Covington, they're probably not in that game even. I love the guy. I I think that he was far and away one of the underrated signings of last offseason around the league. And he was just what the Blazers needed. He's done just what they asked. That's fine. Agreed. and, and you know, OK, one thing I'm glad about, too, in this Denver series is that at least it's two smaller markets because, oh, the complaining that would have started to happen had we been playing the Clippers. It's like it's an L.A. team and the refs are favoring them and stuff. It's like everybody needs to chill. Rudy Gobert was doing that. Did you hear that? Rudy Gobert no, actually came no. out and said the refs were screwing Utah because they don't like small market teams. And it's like everybody just needs to hush about that at this I, point. Tim know. Donahue is, is long in our rearview mirror. The refs are blowing whistles for everybody for the slightest provocation. Now, there was a time when you could make complaints about that kind of thing. But David Stern is gone and that era has passed.
0: I think for the most part, the refs probably do the best they can. They're human. They're imperfect. It's not they're not going to have perfect calls. And, you know, they go back over them and release reports about what should have been and whatever. And they'll admit that they don't always make perfect calls. And it is what it is. I think I think ultimately it probably kind of shakes out. I'm not typically someone who gets all over, you know. Well, the refs lost the game, or the refs did this, or whatever. Every now and then, there will be a game where I'll think, "Oh man, th- that was some bad refing." But I think for the most part, it probably all kind of shakes out. I mean, we've had games where we've won because the ref made a bad call. So ultimately, it's it, to me that's that's a kind of whatever thing. The whole small market thing. I got ticked off today because Bleacher Report released a bunch of. T- T-shirts for the playoffs and there were eight shirts released three of which were the Lakers Golden State and the Celtics all of which are not even in the playoffs yet they're in the play in and so you had five teams represented out of 12 that are currently in. And of course, the Blazers weren't one
1: of them. You got to get those shirts out now, though. I mean, you got to sell your Lakers Golden State shirts early.
0: But then, but then, that's fine if you want to do that. But then, do all the teams? Do all sixteen teams? Do or (laughs) do or I guess twenty if you want to do ten, whatever. That just irks me. So this whole small market, large market, like the small market. It's so unfair to me in certain things, and I like this is this is a pedestal that I will die or a hill that I will die on a pedestal. I don't know. What we'll the put sands you on a are. pedestal.
1: It's okay. <laughs> it's the Dia statue. Uh,
0: this might be the hill I die on when it comes to sports, and maybe part of this comes from being a fan of a small market team living in a big market area. Every Lids store I walk into, Dave. I've made it a point to go in and see if they have Blazers hats. And you know how many have Blazers hats? They don't. They, they're not one. They, it's an entire store of hats and they don't have one. It just, I, this whole small market thing, Just re- this is really an off the topic tangent here. I don't
1: know hey, how hey, Our local here. Nike outlet has Damian Lillard jerseys though. I mean, I'm in Boise. So really? at least that's a little ways away. It's a couple hundred miles away. So there's something.
0: It is just infuriating to me. And I know, like, I again, I know I live in Los Angeles. I know that the Lakers are the home team here. I get that, but when I walk into a store like that and there's literally two walls full of Lakers hats, my thinking is, can you just pick one, one row of those and get rid of them and put some Blazers hats in there? Like, can we just have a little? It's just so frustrating to be a small market fan. The Lakers yeah. are
1: dodging the Blazers, Dia. They, they they don't want to see the Blazers. They're scared.
0: Let's go with that. Let's let's exactly. let's go with that. I I just I can't. It is. So, it's just so frustrating. So, I hate it. So I,
1: look. If there's a bias, this, this is how it goes. There is an implicit bias that it's better for the league if the Lakers make it, I think. And I don't think that happens overtly. I think that if it happens, it happens in the way calls are questioned. In other words, if Ennis Cantor gets a critical call, everybody's going to go, oh, hey, why was that call made? And, you know, this borderline call and blah, blah. And people are not going to be on Cantor's side. If LeBron James gets that same call, everybody's going to right. shrug and go, of course. Yeah, because that's LeBron and he's great, right. right? And the Lakers are great. So there's a cultural leaning that I think does and can favor big market teams or marquee teams anyway, let's say. I mean, I don't think it's even big market because there are some pretty big markets who don't have this cachet, but the Lakers do. The Knicks might a little bit if they keep going. You know, you, you know the franchise. That's it. You have to be in a borderline situation anyway for that to matter. And it's better not to put yourself there, right? And it right. used to be. Now, I will maintain that it used to be that the Blazers had to be five, six points better than their marquee opponent if there was a playoff series, if they were going to win it. They had that gap was, was wider. And the Blazers did have to work harder every year. Again, this was back in the Stern era. This is back in Shaquille O'Neal, who every time he sneezed, got fouled. You know, Kobe Bryant, in some ways, the same way. Although he ended up moving outside, taking jumpers, that wasn't as bad anymore. But in those days, it was bad. Now, you can still decide a really, really close game, but it's easier to stay away from those situations if you're the small market underdog. And I think that that's just something you have to live with. You never entirely get rid of that implicit cultural bias. I think it's as small now as it's ever been. And I think if the Blazers win... It's their fault. If the Blazers lose, it's probably also mostly their fault. I mean, I don't think I don't think I've thought the refs cost the Blazers a game in years at this point.
0: Yeah, that's like I said, I think for the most part it kind of shakes out. I think, you know, you get you get good calls and you get bad calls and you you have some nights where things are getting called well and other nights where they're not. It's just it's just it's honestly it's part of the game. It really is. I don't see that being a, a win or lose thing.
1: Right. Well, and what what Utah, what Gobert and the Blazers have to be careful of. Stop looking for reasons to lose. Stop looking for reasons that you lost already, right? right? Let's say the refs come against you and they're making lousy calls against you. You're still in a playoff series. You still got to play, right? Right. So you go out and win that game anyway. And I know it's harder or whatever, but save that for summer. Save that for later. Stop preparing to lose, basically. The only way to go into the playoffs is say, I'm going to win every game and screw anybody who gets in my way I will take this from them and you know if it turns out you can't you nod you go home and you come back next year but you don't start saying the system is rigged against me before you've even played
0: yeah and uh, and then you turn your back to the ref and you poke the guy hard
1: yeah do something <laughs> underneath or whatever yeah <laughs> anyway and that's harder now this is my objection is that I think with the extra, with the extra officiating, and I don't think there are more fouls called necessarily. I just think they're called in a different area of the court and for different reasons, but it's awful hard. Like to, you know, when there was six moments of contact on every low post play, it was awfully easy to disguise an elbow to the kidneys, right? Right. When right. no contact is allowed, that's pretty hard to to disguise anymore. Right. So Right. yeah, I don't know. But what, Let's move on from this. But anyway, I, I think that the Blazers will get a fair shot against the Nuggets. I hope the Nuggets get a fair shot against the Blazers, too. And let's see who the b- better team is.
0: So who do you think it's going to be? How do you think this is going to shake out, Dave?
1: Well, I mean, I think Denver has the advantage in, in that they have the non such. They have the, the absolutely unduplicatable player, which is Jokic, of course. And the reason I say Jokic and not Dame, I get that Dame is not duplicatable either, but Dame has analogs. He just does what guards do farther out. And yes, he's indomitable. Yes, I, I fully, I, I bow, we're not worthy of Damian Lillard. I get it. But he's not a completely different type of player. He's just the ultimate type of player that he is. There's nobody like Jokic right now, uh, basically, who can score anywhere from the rim to the three-point arc with equal ease and can also pass like a point guard. It's really, really, really scary. What happens is the Blazers are forced into a terrible choice. Do you single cover Jokic, in which case he's going to get 30, okay? Or do you send a double, in which case he's going to get 12 assists and someone else is going to be shooting threes? And the answer is it can't be either of them. And the problem is, Portland hasn't had a lot of defensive continuity and practice shutting this down. Now, I will say this. Nurkic and Cantor play as well against Jokic as anybody can. I think they both have a B in their bonnet about this, and I think that they actually play him pretty well. That said, neither one of them is capable of stopping him. And what the Blazers really need is they need a quick rotation into Jokic to stop him from either catching the ball or from doing anything the instant he catches it, and then a super quick rotation back out following the pass wherever it's going to go. And rotations, they are not good at. They never have been, still aren't. They're big, they're slow, they don't pay attention on defense all the time. This is a big problem. If they can solve that, they're going to win this series. But I have have doubts about their ability to solve
0: it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I won't give quite as detail of an answer because... Frankly, I haven't thought it through quite that much. I just think we're going to (laughs) win. But I do think that it will be a long series. I don't think that this is going to be a four-game series or a five-game series. I think it'll go to to at least six, if not seven games. I think it's going to be a a matchup. I think it's going to be fun to watch. I think, you know, Nurk and Jokic going against each other is is fun. You know, this is Nurk's previous team. I think that's going to be fun. I think this is a team that I think Portland thinks they can win. And so it, wouldn't, it, it won't surprise me to watch that happen. I really, truly think that this is not just optimistic Dia. This is, this is somewhat realistic, as realistic as I can be, Dia, saying I, I truly think that the Blazers will win in six or seven.
1: I, I don't disagree uh, that, that they can. I think that can happen. Here's the other problem they got to solve. It's Michael Porter Jr., who plays small forward for the Nuggets. Okay, And he has really blossomed this year. And the problem is not so much that, because you know what? The Blazers have C.J. McCollum and Norman Powell, who also have done really well this year. It's not like Porter's going to outscore both of those guys. That said, Porter plays small forward, and he's six foot ten. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Blazers don't really have a small forward in the rotation above six foot four. okay? Right. So, and they don't have, I mean, I guess you can slide Carmelo Anthony into power forward and try to put Robert Covington down on Porter Jr., that's a possibility, but then you have the liability of Carmelo Anthony playing big minutes, and he's got to really score well to make up for that. If they don't do that, I don't see what they're going to do about that guy, because he can shoot threes, and he he's he got the entire package too. He doesn't pass like Jokic does, but anywhere, he's a threat. And he's also a threat from the sides and corners, which Jokic kind of isn't. So you got to watch him all over the floor. And I just don't get how 6'4", shuts down 6'10 and super talented. And it's the one place where the Blazers are weak and particularly weak to size. And there he's sitting. Now, if he were alone, I wouldn't worry about it. But you got 6'11 Jokic in the middle who can do everything. And then 6'10 Porter Jr. on small forward who can do lots of things. That's a really hard problem for the Blazers to solve. Now, if they're going to solve it, what do they do? I mean, we all can answer this, right? Dame scores 30, CJ scores 25, Norm scores 19, and you just make up for it with with scoring. And I think that's a possibility. And I think Lillard time, indomitable will, and all that stuff, if it's close, I think actually if it's close, Dame has the advantage. I bet if the Blazers win, they're going to win that way. They're going to win pretty close in a couple games, and and they need to pull those games off. If they can do that, sure, they win in six or seven. But I would say there's maybe... 40% chance of that happening. If you push me and I'm trying to be optimistic, you know, 40, 42, I think realist would say maybe 35, 37, but I don't know Uh, I think it can happen and that's all you can ask for.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I won't go with a percentage because I anticipate that we're going to win. So (laughs) I just, I, but, but yeah, I mean, you make a solid point. We are playing with a small team for the most part. I mean, Nurk and Cantor obviously are are not as small, but there there's only two of them in our entire lineup. You know, the rest of our guys are pretty small. And the fact of the matter is height is an advantage. There's no way around that height is an advantage. That's why like, you got a you've got a guy like Taco Fall who can stand there and hold the ball above his head. And what are you going to do about it? You can be a great player. And what are you going to do about it? I mean, there's, there's some advantage to that height that you just can't really get around. That being said, I do think that this three guard lineup is working well for us. If you look at the numbers, since we've had this lineup of Powell, Dame, and CJ, we've done really, really well. And so, you know, this is this is promising to me, even with the height. I think this is a team that can outscore. And I think that, you know, their their defense has been stepped up massively over the last several stretch of games. You know, if you look at just this last stretch of winning games that we've had, they've played better. And I think that they they have that momentum and they have that excitement behind them. And I would not be surprised to see them go in and and just really do well despite that height difference.
1: Yeah, I mean let's let's hang with size for a minute. Actually what you're saying brought up something for me. The Blazers are kind of small, but they're not really quick. And I'm not sure exactly how that works. They're they're small and super talented. They're multi-talented. I got that. But they're not like speed demons. They're not fast breakers. They're not their lateral quickness is good, but mostly it's the threat. What makes Dame and CJ quick. Is because everybody knows that they can pull up on a dime and can a jumper from anywhere, which makes you nervous. So you don't think you can back off and you got to play up and that allows the dribbler to get past you, but they're not like physically super fast. They're also not physically really big or tall, which is an interesting spot to be in. And maybe in the off season, let's mark that down. Let's talk a little bit more about that. But that said, I mean, outscoring is always a viable option. If Portland's going to have an X factor, who do you think that's going to be? Like, you're going to name, I mean, obviously it's not Dame. Dame is not the X no. factor. Probably not CJ either. He's too obvious. Who do you think is the guy that if Portland wins it, turns this series for them?
0: Nurk. I think it's Nurk, And I think that this goes back to the beginning of the season and what you and I talked about from the beginning. I think Nurk is the difference maker in this team, at least this season as they stand. When Nurk is playing well, when he's, when he's healthy and playing well and playing like we know him to play, this team does better. When Nurk is injured or when he's not playing like himself, we struggle. So I think for this to work, Nurk has to be on. He has to be playing well. I think that's a huge factor for us. I think there are other factors. I think there are other smaller factors, but I think Nurk is probably the biggest.
1: You know who mine is? Who? It's going to be Cantor. And okay,
0: that would, that would be my second. That would be my second.
1: He, he's going to have one game of like 22 points and 14 rebounds. And that's going to win that game. The reason I say that, I don't think he's going to perform that well over seven games, honestly. But you don't win over seven games. Usually how right. this happens, if you're pretty evenly matched, each team gets a couple. And how the other two or three turn is how the series goes, right? And I bet that Cantor turns one game for Portland. Where they get the second game will be Interesting if they can get it. I just got a weird feeling that Ennis is going to come out and he's going to come out and play over his head against Jokic. And he's going to come out and have an outsized statistical game, maybe because Nurk gets in foul trouble or something. And yeah. I think there's going to be a surprise right there. And that's going to win one game for Portland. We'll write that down. I mean, Norman Powell obviously is a huge candidate. Carmelo yeah. Anthony is an outside candidate, yep. frankly, but I, I really think it's going to be Ennis.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think he's a real interesting player to me. He really is. I think he's been, you know, obviously a difference maker for us. He's been somebody that we needed in in when he came. He knows the team. He plays well with the team. And you're right. I think, you know, every now and then he goes out and he just outdoes himself and everybody's like, what? This is not going to be a, a blowout. This is going to be a close series. And so all it takes is winning one more game than the other team. That's all it takes. So all it takes is him coming out and unexpectedly having a fantastic game where we need him to. And that does it. You know, that would have been another one I would have said. Norm Norm would be another one that I would say. I think he's I think, you know, when he's on, he's on. And when when we get him and C.J. and Dame all scoring high numbers, we do well. So that's another one. You know, I, I think there's a lot of different our bench. Our bench is, you know, you mentioned Mello and, and he's part of that. When they come out and do well and they can keep us from losing ground while our starters have a, a, a rest, that's huge. That's crucial in, in playoffs. We need our bench to be able to come out and score and hold on to a lead or make progress on on a deficit. And so, you know, if, if they can do that, which they've been doing well, they've been playing well. So I think there's a lot of people that, that could be the difference maker. But to me, to me, Nurk is, is he's a game changer. If he's not playing well, if he's not doing what we need him to do, we're not, especially in this series with Jokic, we're going to be in trouble.
1: I don't think there's going to be too much of a bench in the playoffs. I bet if possible, Stotts tightens his rotation even further. I don't, I don't know that Anthony Simons is going to see a ton of time, at least Early on, probably not. But hey, maybe he will. And by the way, he's been playing great too. Maybe maybe he's the guy who comes out of nowhere and pulls out a nine three pointers kind of game. You know, if the Blazers are down, if the conventional isn't working, they may have to go with something like that and just you know put Simons in and say scoring pressure all the time. It's going to be interesting. I, I still think Denver has a natural advantage, and appropriately so. They have a couple of big mismatch advantages, but. As you say, Damian Lillard is a walking mismatch, and CJ McCollum can be too. You know what I'd do, though? Here's, an, here's a possibility, I would think. I would take Covington and run him hard against Jokic, put Nurkic behind Jokic and run Covington off him, maybe from the offside even, and let their power forwards try to score, right? And if Paul Millsap or whoever's out there it, wants to shoot three-pointers, I will live with that, even if he hits some. He, you know, if he starts hitting six, I'll start paying attention. But I'd rather have Jokic have two big guys on him just getting in his face and destroying him than I would having him single-covered and either scoring or come with a, a smaller guard who just doesn't really bother him and then leave a guard open for a three. So let's see if they get creative at that power forward spot. I think that would be interesting. They could also do something weird like use Covington on Jokic. And I know that's stupid, right? Because he'll just post. But you know, there's an argument to be made that, Making Jokic post up and take a little longer getting the shot, even if he's going to make most of them, will help Portland by slowing down Denver's offense. Because Denver likes to score big, just like Portland likes to score big. So if they score, but they score slower, that's an advantage to Portland. And if they have to go in the post and that's where they get their score, because you've got everybody else covered, I think that, I think that there's a, a possibility that that could work. So bait them into taking Jokic in the post, bait them into taking five dribbles and a few seconds off the clock, and then see if you just can't score quicker, even though they score well.
0: You know, I forget that sometimes going into the playoffs, that they're going to tighten up that roster. They're not, you're right. They're not going to be playing a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys are going to ride the bench unless there's some drastic thing that happens where, you know, they have to pull someone in. Well, they've Um,
1: only been playing eight players for the last two weeks, really. But Right which
0: is which is there's probably that's probably part of why i I think probably tightening that up and and getting them ready for this so it's it's going to be interesting it's going to be fun it's going to be fun to watch it's going to be fun in the way that it's fun to you know do something that's also almost gives you a heart attack
1: (laughs) should be (laughs) should be a great series i mean it it, portland and denver already is it's it's always fun when these teams match up so great storylines i mean. You could wish Jamal Murray were on the other side. That's kind of sad that he wasn't able to play for them. But better that happened to them than to Portland. I mean, because it's happened to Portland enough, frankly. Yeah. So, I mean, and by the way, that gives the Blazers a better chance. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Go hard, win every game you can, and let's see what happens. And would it surprise me if the Blazers made it the second round? It would not it yeah. would not be a shock. I think they have a better chance this year than we would have given them any year since maybe New Orleans. And you know what happened against New Orleans? They got swept. Yeah. <laughs> so, on the face of it, this looks like this looks like a pretty good matchup.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, ideally, this is this is about as good as it gets for us in the first round. With things as they stand, this is exactly where we want to be. <laughs> In this last game, the last game of the season, Damian Lillard breaks his own franchise record of three-pointers in a season with 271 three-pointers this season. The previous record was his own. I think he owns like the top six or seven spots of this record for this franchise, but his most recent was 270 in 2019-2020, so last year. The wild thing about that, 271 in a shortened season, it's not even a full season. They played 10 less games than they normally do, and he still broke his own record. That's insane. That is just insane. I know that the game has changed. I know that it's a much heavier three-point game, so it makes sense that these records are being broken now. But the fact that we have somebody who does that this the way that Damian Lillard... I mean, really, there aren't a lot of people who do this like him. Steph Curry, you know, you always get those comparisons and and he does it well as well. But Damian Lillard is is one of the best at what he does. And I think it's so cool that we get to watch him week after week after week do it for our team.
1: There's not a slow, failed, middle-aged dude in the universe who used to play basketball who doesn't think, boy, if I could hit every shot I took, from any range. I wonder if I could get on an NBA team just to shoot those shots. You know, if I could if I could shoot from half court and make it all the time. I wonder if I could That dream is dead, folks. You you no <laughs> longer because you know what? Dame does that and he's not slow and middle-aged. He's right. literally a Hall of Famer. Right. So, if you thought that was your ticket into the NBA, you asked the genie for the ability to make every shot, too late. It's done. Uh, and no, you can't you can't play anymore. <laughs> it's it's fantastic to to watch this evolution. Look, you compare eras, right? And it is different. And yes, maybe there was more skill and technical, uh, what would you say, reading ability or whatever, Or, or defensive ability, at least, in the old days. But you know, it would surprise the crap out of even the best teams from the 90s to come down the floor, and here's this dude launching from 33 feet, And hitting them all the time. I would love, I would pay to see the look on their faces. Oh, yeah, we're going to kill these kids. What the heck happened? Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. And this pace and space kind of offense, even though I think it needs to evolve. I think there has to evolve into something next. That's just otherwise the league is just going to become everybody standing beyond the arc and chucking. But this is the pinnacle. This is the best. And for what it is, you have to enjoy it and you have to enjoy him. And again, credit Terry Stotz, too. Green light, green light all the time. I mean, how do you, yeah. you? Part of the reason why nobody developed that skill is because they would have been yanked long before they ever got good at it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And Stotz is just like, go for it. I trust you. And uh, Lillard has more than repaid him and the Blazers.
0: There aren't a lot of people that if they, you know, pulled up from half court, I would be like, okay, he's got this. But there's almost a piece when Dame does it. When Dame is locked in and you see him pause at that logo and look at the basket, it's like you kind of settle back and you just cross your arms and you wait because you know that this is a legit shot. It's he's going to probably make it. He makes those more than he misses them. So if, you know, if, if someone, I'm not going to name names, but if someone else were to pull up at, at, you know, at half court and, and step back and step back to take that, that three, you're going to, you're going to look at that and think, Oh, what are you thinking? But when Dame does it, it's just, it's like normal. It's just, it's normal.
1: It's weird. Do you get that? That Zen, like yes. when he pulls up and your mind just goes blank, it's like someone rang a, a gong or did one I'm- of those tight tibetan you know circle things Uh where you go and it's like which is not relaxing the ball is in (laughs) flight your mind just blanks out and it's really jarring when it misses you're like whoa what happened
0: yeah there is not one part of zen about me when i'm watching basketball games for people who follow me on social media follow me on twitter and see the positive happy rainbows and unicorns dia and even on our podcast you know i can sit back and that is a very different experience than actually physically watching a game with me where I am yelling and screaming and out of my seat and barely can hold it together. And there is not one ounce of Zen in me, but there is something about that. There is something about my faith in his ability to make that shot. I have more faith in Dame's ability to make that shot than most people's ability to make a layup.
1: That's the truth. Yeah. I mean, gosh, if I could ask people out to prom like Dame shoots from half court, I would have been great in high school. I mean, <laughs> I <it> would have. <laughs> oh. look, you've discovered something or we've discovered something here, though. That's what you feel like when you're in the zone, like your mind goes blank and you're one with the ball and everything gets really quiet and you shoot. And I think anybody who's played basketball for an extended amount of time knows what that feeling is like. It's just yeah. a stillness. How the heck does Dame do this? He's put all of us in the zone. He puts all of us in the zone along with him, and I've never seen that. Not Clyde, not Michael, not anybody. And I'm not saying he's better than them, obviously. I'm saying no, but- that I've never seen such ability to draw everybody else into your play and just have them experience being in the zone with you the way Dame does it with those and- shots. And it's its incredible.
0: And it's not just Blazer fans. You watch this. If you've ever watched Dame play a game around fans of the other team, or any other team for that matter, you will hear. I mean, you will hear people when he gets ready to do that. The other team, the fans of the other team are groaning. They're going, oh, no. They know. They know that it's coming. It is not just Blazers. They might not feel quite so sad about it, but they know it's coming. It's not just Blazers fans. He's done this so well. That you expect these ridiculous shots to go in. You don't expect him to miss it. Like you said, it's almost jarring when he does. When it bounces out, you're kind of like, what, what, wait, what? And I noticed the other day when he's at the other end of the court and the buzzer's about to go off and he launches it from basically the end line of the other side of the court. I'm waiting for that ball to go in. I'm actually legitimately, when somebody else does that, you're barely paying attention. But when Dame does that, I, th- I sit there and I think, hey, that might actually go in. And I watch it. It's just, it's, it's, a wild, wild thing to watch him play basketball.
1: Well, and let's get real. You want to talk about winning 10 of your last 12? Listen to these numbers uh, as far as leading score. Lillard 32, Lillard 33, Lillard 32, Lillard 38, Lillard 30, Lillard 34, Lillard 30, and then Lillard 41. Ironically, the 41 was in the Phoenix loss. Out of the last 12 games, he led the team, what, nine times, and all of them were 30 points or more. I mean, that's why the Blazers made this end-of-season run. That's I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yes, the defense was better and everything like that, but that wouldn't have produced wins the same way if Dame hadn't just strapped this team to his shoulders like a backpack and carried them across the goal line. It's everything you want. And by the way, in the losing streak, this wasn't happening, right? Dame was hurt. Dame was tired. Dame was whatever, uh, which happens with frequency. And it's something we can critique in the offseason. But for right now, all you've got to say, Dame came to play in the last two weeks of the season when the season was in danger. And that made the difference uh, for Portland.
0: And with that, a well-deserved Western Conference Player of the Week this week goes to Dame. I don't know how many times he won that this year, but three this it year, was...
1: twelve overall.
0: Okay, okay. Well, you you were ready with that. Yeah, he he deserved that. That was well deserved. He did exactly what you just described, and for that very reason, I think that was a, a well fitted award. At the same time, Stotts won Coach of the Month for May, which I just <sighs> there's a little. A little part of me that just finds so much satisfaction in the fact that he won that as half of the Blazer fans are calling for his head. There's this little evil satisfaction inside of me that loves that this is how we ended the regular season.
1: It will be ironic if Terry goes out having won Coach of the Month. That's the last thing he did. <laughs> I mean, and, and appropriately so, uh, in not in his going out, but in that, okay... You know what? He wasn't a bad coach. He no. didn't get stupid in April and then smart in May. No. just things happen around him, and you know stuff. And, and again, if they need, if they feel like they need a new voice, it's hard to argue against that. But it's really hard to argue for him to go either. So that's going to be an interesting conundrum in the off season. But congratulations to Coach Stotts, and I think you know, well done and well. Everything he has done well consistently, and yep. I have nothing but but praise for him. Uh, and do I think he's perfect coach? No, I don't think anyone is. But he has done as well with this team as anyone could. And as you and I have talked about, the list of people that I think would be a clear upgrade over him, you can measure on like less than one hand. And I'm not even sure about all of those. So and yeah.
0: the availability and willingness of those is in question. You don't know if those coaches are available to come or if they would come. So yeah. it, it, this is not that it, this is just such a much I mean we've talked about this before. We don't need to go into it again. But yeah. the fact that he won coach of the month just makes my heart happy. Every single, you know, part of me that wants justification in my love for him. Was happy with this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this and, and
1: absolutely, and, and appropriately so. Now that's it. If he goes, if the Blazers go zero and four, if they get swept by the Nuggets, this is going to be a whole nother story. But you know, if they get to the second round or beyond, I think it's a serious question whether you can fire him or get rid of him. It'll be interesting to see how this postseason affects that narrative. But anyone who thinks that the problem is primarily coaching, just I can't. I still can't agree. I I don't yeah. agree. And, and, and neither does the NBA apparently.
0: No, and the, you know, the people who actually know what they're talking about. I think it's going to be a very interesting off-season, regardless of what happens. It's going to be a very interesting off-season right. for the Trailblazers. And, and we
1: could talk about that. I mean, one of the big questions is, did the Blazers fulfill what was expected of them? And we're in limbo now, and I don't think we should talk about it right now, because the only thing we should say right now is, they got the sixth seed. They stayed out of the play-in. Good job. That's yep. it. Yep. That's the only Absolutely. sentiment we should have this week. But it will be an open question. Before we get there, though, wasn't there a small matter to settle somewhere around the All-Star break? We had this yep. big Danny versus Bell yes. thing. If, for those who <laughs> don't recall, uh, Danny Morang, our colleague and podcast parallel host, uh, was predicting 18 wins, I believe, after the All-Star yep. break. And Jelisabelle said, no, Danny, is your daughter, right? How old is she again?
0: Yes. She's eight. Eight? She's eight. And yes. she
1: said, how much? How many?
0: She predicted 25 wins. She is my daughter through and through.
1: <laughs> so 25 wins for Jelisabelle and 18 wins for Danny, And the Blazers actually won how many?
0: <laughs> 21. Oh, right in the middle. Right
1: in the middle. Oh, my gosh. So first of all, between them, they had the right answer, if you average out. And I think both of them should get ice cream. I agree. So so we're going to send Danny and Jelisabelle both some ice cream for between them getting the correct answer. Double scoops for each. They actually did a pretty good job defining the upper and lower limits. Now, I think probably Jelisabelle had a better chance. I mean, the Blazers lost some pretty close games. I get that they won some close ones as well. But, you know, a couple points here or there, Jelisabelle would have been right on.
0: There were... I don't, I want to say four or five games that were like one or two point games. Had those come out the other way, she would have been right on. I'm impressed. I'm, yeah. I'm really impressed with her. I apparently, you know, have done something right in my in my parenting of my yeah. child because she made a good guess. And that there was no, you know, if you heard that podcast, there was no coaching for me. She pulled that out all on her own. So, yeah. That's, that's, that's
1: good. I, I mean, even you saying that with the one point losses does remind us, though, and not to be doom and gloom, but let's let's frame this a little bit. First of all, yay, Elizabeth! No, no, no. Let's leave that. I'm not talking about that anymore. The Blazers, we've seen this before. The Blazers kind of underachieve for a while. They get right close to the cliff. They go on a huge late season run. They get into the playoffs, and then they either kind of fizzle or do okay for a round and then fizzle. That one exception was 2019 when they made it to the conference finals before they fizzled. But that's it. They're going to have to prove something in this offseason if they want the story to change. This is like their habit turned up to 11, losing 8 out of 10 or whatever they did, winnable games, and then absolutely negotiating the impossible part of the schedule by winning 10 out of 12. That's pretty radical. But if we go back to 2016, 2017, 2018. This story was really similar. So they don't get a free ride here. If we're talking about what they need to do, they do need to go out and win this series and they need to advance and they need to play credibly in order to justify this season. Otherwise, if this is a first round loss, I think we look back on the season and we do say, despite the late season rally, this was another disappointment.
0: Yeah, it's I agree, especially being at the spot we're in this is a winnable series against the Nuggets. And I think, I think you're exactly right. I don't even know that there's a point in me reiterating what you just said. I think you're right. I think that this is a down-to-the-wire thing. We should advance past the first round, in my opinion.
1: Exactly. We said at the beginning of the season, at the podcast, right, that this is the season where there are no excuses. And I think that remains so. We just thought we were going to have to make excuses early about three weeks ago, right? When they went on that huge streak and it didn't look good.
0: I Uh, didn't think that.
1: Yeah, I know. You didn't. And by the way, (laughs) we are not worthy. We should give Dia all full credit. We kind of did last week. They finished it off with three strong games. And so, yeah, Dia was right. That said, um, we're not finished yet. And the no excuses part hasn't changed. If we are talking in a week and we're going, oh, oh Lord, they're 0-2 or I guess 0-2 is forgivable. First two games are in Denver. But if they're 0-2 and it's really looking bad, like it's going to be 0-3, there's no explanation at the end of that that's going to justify it. The Blazers do have to answer for what happens here in my mind.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't really have a lot more to say about that other than that I agree. night was the first game, I believe, for the Eastern Conference.
1: The Pacers, without Karis LeVert, beat the Hornets 144 to 117. So all wow. that stuff about, oh, Indiana has no chance. I guess they 12 squared is a lot. And the wow. Celtics took care of the Wizards 118 to 100. So, so uh, that
0: puts this, the Celtics in seventh, and, right? And um, the Wizards facing the Pacers?
1: Yes, I believe so. I'll check that. So, I think
0: that's right. Celtics go to seventh, and then the Wizards face off with the Pacers yep. for the eighth seed. Okay. Yep. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I was hoping to see the Wizards go in over over the Celtics.
1: Yeah, I think rooting for Boston to lose is a solid game plan for this off season, especially if you're Portland. There might be reasons. Yeah, I, I'm I'm rooting for Boston not to you know not to do very well personally. Right. But then uh, there are a few other teams I'm also rooting to fail because their amenability to trades might go up slightly then?
0: I'm not thinking past this season, to be honest. So for me, it's just a matter of who do I want to watch. The East Coast is not nearly as much of an interest right now as the Western Conference, which is tomorrow, correct? Yes. So the, the Lakers and, and the, Warriors, the Warriors. And the and, and
1: the Spurs.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I would not at all be surprised to see Golden State upset, upset the Lakers. And I would be all here for it. I would like to see that. Yeah, That would be my my happy outcome.
1: Yeah, because what you like is the Lakers to have to play as many games as possible. I assume the Lakers would beat the Grizzlies, and I assume the Grizzlies are going to beat the Spurs because I just... Rooting for San Antonio is is like rooting for toast at this point. I mean, it's just... Toast is good, but it's not exact. You don't go and... Unless there's avocado on that, you're not going to order that off the menu. Actually, Memphis outrunning the Lakers would be funny as heck, like fast breaking all over the place and we're the team that can't, you know, we're the team you can't catch. I would love to see that. I think Golden State would handle Memphis pretty easily, but I would love to see Golden State upset the Lakers and then the Lakers have to run around after Memphis because that yeah. tires out the Lakers now.
0: Yep. And the truth is, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I know I've thought about it before, but the truth is, you know, again, I, I'm not a fan of this play in thing for a multitude of reasons. But one thing about it is in one game, any team can struggle and any team can get hot. And especially a team like Golden State, if Steph Curry goes off and scores 60 points, And the lakers are even remotely struggling which they very well maybe with the injuries they've had and the chemistry issues they've had and trying to like get things back together golden state could easily take out the lakers i don't see that as being even really much of a crazy thought i think that the grizzlies could possibly take out the lakers it a lot of this really depends on who gets hot it's not so much about who is always the best team A lot of this right now, especially in the play in games where it's one game, it's whoever's hot, It's whoever's playing well. If they're dealing with injuries, if they're dealing with, you know, one game where two players are out, that can throw your entire game. And that's that.
1: I want to see John Morant run and dunk on the Lakers. I really, you've convinced me. I want the Warriors to win. Although I should ask you this though, who do you want in your bracket? Because whoever wins that between the Lakers and Warriors is who's going to end up in Portland's bracket.
0: Right. So i we're going to curse them right the, now.
1: Who would you rather have?
0: The Warriors. I think the Warriors this season, I think that they can get hot and win a game or two, but I do not think that they would beat us in, an, in a seven-game series. I think the Lakers could. So I much rather have the Warriors than, than the Lakers.
1: Okay. So you would rather have it be either the Warriors or Suns that uh, Portland faces after they beat Denver, and then yeah. if they won that series then it would be the Jazz Clippers Mavericks or Lakers or Grizzlies, presumably. I mean, sorry, Spurs. It could be the Spurs too, but <laughs> sorry, to- <laughs> toast doesn't get to the conference finals. Look,
0: look this, this season. I mean, even if you look at, look at the, the games tonight, Hornets and the
1: Pacers, yeah,
0: Pacers. And it, that wasn't expected. I've been saying from day one of this season day, that this is literally anyone's year. This is unpredictable. It's unprecedented. We've never had a season like this before, yep. and it is anybody's year. I'm not a better. I'm not someone who bets. I have major anxiety over betting. I can't even pay, play the stupid penny slot machines. I can't do it. I have way too much anxiety. Mm-hmm. But if I were, this is not the year I would be making bets because this year is just, it, I mean, the unexpected things are happening. Things are not going the way that we expect them to, which is the very definition of unexpected things happening. Right. But it's, it's just not, it's not, it's not a normal year. And I feel like we're seeing that. And I just don't think you can predict it.
1: So you've heard Dia's prediction then. The Blazers are going <laughs> to beat the Nuggets and then beat the Warriors yeah. to get to the conference finals.
0: I mean, that, that would be, in my world, that would be the ideal situation, honestly.
1: Excellent. Well, I mean, I think that's a great place to leave it. You have spoken and what you say usually happens. So, (laughs) which is why we have you on here. I'm all analyzing the stuff and you're saying, ah, forget all that. Here's what's going to (laughs) happen.
0: I go with my gut, Dave. I go with my gut. It hasn't steered. Well, it has steered me wrong. I shouldn't say it hasn't steered (laughs) me wrong. wrong Plenty of times, but in this case, I have high hopes. I'll tell you what, after Sunday, I was on a high. I was just like, that's it. We're winning it all. We plan the parade. We're and I don't think I was the only one. I think that this was an overall feeling of jubilation when we won <laughs> when and, we won the sixth
1: place championship.
0: Yes. But <laughs> I know so Portland. I, listen, I've been saying from the beginning, this could be our year. And I will say, as it sits, with Portland in the sixth seed, I still hold on to the fact, Dave, that this could be our year. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Let's have
1: the six-seed parade, except everybody's like on big wheels. That would be so cool.
0: I'm not talking about a six-seed parade. I'm talking about a championship parade when we win the championship, because it could happen.
1: Yeah, it could happen. It still could. Hope springs eternal. And the first game, I will tell you, first game of the season is pretty cool, but nothing beats the first game of the playoffs. Game 1-0-0, first game of the playoffs is great. Do you think the Blazers get a split in Denver? Do you think they go at least 1-1? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: I, I think at least. Yes. Okay. They. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Denver. I've said this a million times, and I don't know if this is actually a thing because I feel like it doesn't really get talked about, but Denver is very high elevation. And if you are an athlete and you've ever competed where there's high elevation, it does a number on you. And I don't know how they don't have better advantages because of that, because they're used to playing in that. Like how... They have to have, I wonder what their record is there, because I feel like that has to be such a disadvantage for the teams coming in.
1: They used to, in the Doug Moe years, they absolutely did. They're still not bad this year. They're 25 and 11 at home. But remember, I don't know if you remember, Doug Moe used to run them. I mean, they'd score like 145 points a night. Because they'd be fast-breaking all over the place, and they were used to that altitude, and nobody else was, and everybody would be winded by the third quarter. They don't do that so much anymore, of course, but I think it's still somewhat of a home-court advantage. But will they let fans into the Motor Center? Will they let more than 10% in? We have yet to see what's going to happen here. And, you know, the more people in Motor Center, the more of an advantage that is. Dia says there's a split. I say, you know, I would not be surprised. If the Blazers came out and bopped them on the nose in game one, that's a very good yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: I think absolutely. I would, I would not be surprised at all with the momentum they've got and everything going on. I think they'll come out and win the first one.
1: That's the analogy I use. You know, you want to stop the shark. You hit him on the nose get right yeah. away and show him you mean business. If the Blazers can do that, you kind of like it. Now, of course, that happened last year versus the Lakers, and then they went on to lose one to four. But Denver is not the Lakers, right? So,
0: you- And this year is not last year.
1: So that's what, that's what we're going for. I will, I will predict that along with you. I don't know if I'm ready for a series win yet, but let's predict game one. We agree on this. Now it must happen. Great. It's
0: it's an exciting time as we end the season. You know, this was, this is what we kept saying, hold it together, get to the playoffs. And we did, we held it together. We got to the playoffs. Now we start with a clean slate. The rest of the season doesn't matter anymore. Now we move on and we start fresh.
1: You know, what's hilarious is that as things happen in real time, I can hear you talking about it after 27 podcasts now. It's like, oh, I know what Dia's going to say about this. I can hear your tone of voice like in my head, like told you, Dave, I told you they came out and won it. And it's just like, oh. I'm so sorry. You no, know, it's, it's totally funny. It's like lasers are very Dia flavored now. So well oh, done, man. and uh, yeah, we've been through our first regular season together with this podcast, and yeah, now we're gonna get to our first did. playoffs, and then our first off season. We'll see. Off season may be fun. Anyway, we will see all of you next week when we will know a little bit more about how the Blazers are doing, either two and zero or one and one. At least we hope. And uh, we'll root for them uh, Onward through the playoffs With no Blazers, we'll see you next time
0: A hater sees an opening down the lane Moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere To swap the shot attempt away Saying, get that weak stuff out of here Dave scoops up the loose
1: ball Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia She's flying down the court Dave sends her an alley she jams it Boom, shakalala The crowd is on its feet
0: saluting Dia I tell you. If she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent!